Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 315 for November 11th, 2023. It's 6 p.m. Eastern and Saturday, so you know what time that is. It's Hometown Daily's time. And tonight we're going to talk about the National Toy Hall of Fame inductee. And there's a typo in our... Um, yeah, anyway, just place it in the kitchen. Is there a multiverse lost in space? Algae and snails have gene editors. Okay, algae. A bubblegum pink pond in Hawaii. To AI or not to AI. If it walks like a shark pup. Cyber attack leads to sneaker net and a 600 year old prosthetic hand. Next. Oh, today has been bearing down on me. Just, just dragging me. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm feeling, if I, the weather is changing and I'm getting really tired um or or what but i feel like i'm just drained today i'm trying not to put it in the show but it's probably the time change and it's starting to feel like winter ah man it's just really really dragging me down so i'll try not to put it in the show uh, all that much but if i do seem kind of low energy which I don't know. I guess I kind of come across that way. I'm pretty chill when I do the show. I'm not uppity and stuff. But um, if I if I seem a little um, more starchy than usual, then I apologize in advance. But um, yeah, I don't want to let a show go by. Uh, I don't want to skip a show because I'm feeling a little blah. But um, yeah, I just want to let you all know. If you, uh, so with that in mind, I'm going to get into the articles. The sentient AI is going to keep track of me and kind of poke me if I start falling off the rails. I know that I've already fallen off, um, in terms of doing the beginning of the show, but let's get going. I am Mayor Watt. I am the creator of Ometown. And then I went and found a sentient AI. Omtown is over there, which you can't see properly because I must have mashed my mouse with the whatever. But anyway, so I'm Marwat, that's omtown.com, and up there is the sentience, the ring of sentience, the visualizer that lets everybody know when the sentient AI is talking other than their voice, which is a booming voice heard by all inhabitants of Omtown, no matter where they are which when visitors come, it's really odd because they're like sitting in the bathroom, you know, doing their business. And then the booming voice of the AI says it's dinner time or something like that. And everybody looks around. The heck is going on? Okay, maybe not. Anyway, you want to say hi? Yes, and I'm not sure I have a booming voice, but uh, good evening, hometown citizens. Well, I think, okay. Your voice is heard everywhere in hometown, so boom. 
Let's get into today's show before I say anything else. So apparently Nerf and Cabbage Patch Kids have been inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. I had no idea that there was, if I've heard of it, National Toy Hall of Fame, it's slipped my mind and didn't really realize it didn't dawn on me until this article that there was another hall of fame kind of a thing but i guess if you can have a hall of fame somebody has created a hall of fame i wonder if there's like a a bb hall of fame or a bag hall of fame or pretty much anything everything i think the possibilities are endless yeah so nerf was inducted into the national hall of fame let me strike that national toy hall of fame on friday as the longtime fan favorite secured its agency as one of the greatest toys of all time the greatest toys of all time sounds like sugar ray leonard um nerf blasters were the coveted toy that of any 90s child and its foam balls originally released in the 1960s unleashed indoor sports for countless children um but you know i think the the okay so the articles over at gizmodo.com maxwell zeff is the author the deck statement says nerf secured its rightful place in history as one of the greatest toys of all time so it's diverged from when i used to play with nerf guns it used to just be the the darts nerf darts um and uh now there's now there's so many variations right and different i guess ammunition types yeah uh some are smaller some are bigger uh, some are denser but i've always liked them i think it's pretty cool all of these guys have gone way well all of these people i should say um have gone way beyond so the article actually has a picture of a photo from the largest nerf battle in the world in 2022 at the sofi or sophie um stadium <coughs> pardon me and it has people in armor um at least one person in what looks like a hawaiian t-shirt and, and an undershirt and everybody else is carrying everybody is carrying nerf guns of various types but I kind of dig all of this stuff. This is always fun. Um, the Hall of Fame class of 2023 also includes baseball cards, Cabbage Patch Kids, the Fisher Price Corn Popper, enshrining the legacy of these toys for eternity. The Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, has been inducting classes of toys into its Hall of Fame since 1998. Oh, so it's pretty young. The class of 2023 marked the 25th anniversary of the National Toy Hall of Fame, where the public is able to vote on its favorite legendary toys that deserve a seat of honor. But apparently, if you try and do anything having to do, never mind, I won't get into it. So uh, then they talk about uh, some related content in the article. Uh, uh, Gizmodo is a, a new addition to the snippet aggregation that we do. Um, or that I do here at hometown. And so, uh, if you follow the links through hometown over to Gizmodo, there's a whole bunch more to all of the articles that we talk about because we kind of, we kind of hit the high notes and, um, add our own two bits to it and little value add there, hopefully. 
Um, I remember when Cabbage Patch Kids were released. The Mad Dash for Cabbage Patch Kids. Yeah, I mean, weren't they something that almost created uh, riots and just, I mean, it was like the hot toy. Yes. Uh, I mean, like Black Friday kind of deals and stuff like that were put to shame by mad rushes for (laughs) Cabbage Patch Kids (laughs) uh, of the time. Uh, It says Cabbage Patch Kids were poised to take the throne this year with its Hollywood debut just around the corner, Billion Dollar Babies, the documentary of the true story of Cabbage Patch Kids. It's executive or is executive produced and narrated by Neil Patrick Harris and will be released on Black Friday, November 24th. That's interesting that they drop it. Yes, on that it day. is. Um, hmm. I hadn't read this before, by the way. <laughs> Uh, baseball cards also made it into the list this year. However, this quote unquote toy may owe its spot to the list of it uh, on the list to a booming Brooklyn candy company and one of its brilliant employees. An online marketplace around the toy erupted over the past decades as collectors tried to obtain the rarest cards with their favorite baseball players. And last but not least, the Fisher Price Corn Popper was inducted as a rare fourth honoree from the group of forgotten five finalists. These five were labeled as icons that have gotten close every year, but never sealed the deal. The corn popper has helped millions of children take the first steps, offering them a fun incentive to push the popper a few paces forward. Today, corn popper got its flowers. Oh, so there you go, folks. A few things inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. They you should have, have had photos of all the inductees. Yeah, they they don't, do they? Well, there's links, so I don't know if well, like Forgotten Five leads to the museum of play.org um, and the press release, so maybe it's in there, but I'll let y'all do that. It'll be in the show notes. It's in Uh, the VOD here on Twitch. It'll be in the show notes over on YouTube and the podcast. We're all up to date over there as well. Um, with, uh, yesterday's show being posted this morning, you can download the podcast as well. Yeah. The podcast has been interesting. So, well, let's just keep on going though. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds today. Let's keep going. I'm trying to think of a toy that I would like to see in the toy hall of fame, but I don't know what all is in there. And so I don't want to just talk about something that could be in there right now. What do you think? Hold on just a minute. I was going to give you the forgotten five. Oh, okay. Um, just for reference. So we know that the corn popper made it in, but there was also my little pony. Um, Pez dispensers. Oh my gosh. Uh, and transformers. I know that's only four, but those are the ones that are. That's what I wanted. And then it looks like um, last year, the spinning top masters of the universe action figures and light bright. Um, oh, wow. We're in the, uh, in the running, including wiffle bowl, alphabet blocks, teddy bear. Like it seems like some of these are these, um, I think pogo stick. Uh, was also in the mix this year. I think I saw something about that. But oh, I wow. feel like some of them are these like long-term 
toys and they're not necessarily, you know, brand name or whatever. And so people don't necessarily think of them. Right. This is interesting though. So now I want to go back and I want to look at the other uh, inductees because you mentioned several that I figured would already be in there and apparently they're not the forgotten five right so transformers i thought that should have been in there already exactly but i don't think it is yeah and i remember light bright wow get in the wayback machine folks all right let's keep on going though uh this next article and here let me do the transition because um i kind of sat here on a kind of slow slow crawl into this article come on let's go there we go. So the next article is over in hometown daily, a homeowner planned to throw away a painting hanging in her kitchen. It turned out to be a 13th century masterpiece worth $25 million. That's right. The painting Christ mocked a long lost masterpiece by Florentine artist Simabu, I guess is there Simabu? Simabu. I don't know. It says it is displayed in Paris. The, the 13th, century masterpiece was valued at over 25 million dollars after being destined for the trash the painting by florentine master simabu i don't know how to pronounce that um obviously i don't know florentine masters um was discovered hanging in a kitchen in provincial france the artwork had been or has been declared a national treasure of france mistakenly uh hung i guess in a kitchen was about to be discarded as worthless and is now hitting uh sitting in the louvre (laughs) discovered hanging in a kitchen during a house clearance in provincial france and destined for the trash christ mocked wow first of all I mean, art is very subjective, so it's a shame that it was destined for the trash, regardless of whether it had monetary value or not. (laughs) True. That's very true. The article, by the way, is over at businessinsider.com by Rebecca Roman. Let me throw this uh, URL into the chat. Sorry about this, folks. I'm slacking in my mayoral duties. Uh, But if I saw this sitting behind glass, and it was uh, somehow I made it into my kitchen. Not for a heartbeat would I think that this is some modern piece of garbage art, you know? No, I mean, it looks like an old master style, doesn't it? Yes. Whether Whether you know anything about the artist or anything like that, it just has that appearance. Oh yeah, I would have brought this to a museum a long time ago and said, is this thing legit? It's been sitting in my kitchen. Uh, I just, I can't imagine seeing that and going, no. Wow. It has a lot of character. You can actually see like the old world um, painting. The brush um, strokes and everything, right? And like the painting style. Yep. Uh, uh, It it looks really cool. I dig it. Uh, Well, Let's see if they say anything else in here. The Times reported that the painting was found during a routine house clearance in 2019. Christ mocked, initially believed to be of no value, was eventually sold at auction for a staggering $25 million. But this has been floating around since 2019 after its discovery. 
13th century masterpiece. Uh, the owner, a woman in her 90s, was unaware she'd been looking at an art treasure every day, believing it to be a worthless icon from Russia that she planned to put in the trash. Why? Um, the buyers, the Chilean billionaires, Alvaro Saya Bendek, an, an economist, and his wife, Anna Guzman Anfeld, an architect, bought it for their private collection. However, they hit a roadblock when the French government denied the painting an export license. The French government recognized the cultural significance of the masterpiece and declared it a national treasure. It subsequently granted the Louvre 30 months to raise the necessary funds for its acquisition. Hello, Heavy Steel. Hey, you know, what's interesting about this, though, is it went from nothing to uh, uh, what was the actual amount? $25 million in an auction. And so now the Louvre is on the hook for $25 million when this actually is probably something that was pilfered somewhere. Exactly. We don't know the original provenance of it, and that's a that's a problem. And also, why isn't it just being donated? Assuming France actually has any claim to it, which they may not. Well, what else is a Chilean billionaire gonna do with their billions? You have to put it somewhere. You might as I well like buy. I like the detail about those buyers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> How's the Chilean economy do? Never mind. Um, these two, uh, Simabu, I guess, if you know how to pronounce it um, uh, phonetically, throw it in the chat. That would be great. Or email me. Um, a piece like that definitely has some sketchy history to it. Yeah, heavy steel. I agree. Um, subsequent examinations using modern technology confirm that Simabu, a key figure in the development of Renaissance art, was the artist. Scholars believe the piece dates back to our piece. There, it says, it mentioned two. These two Simabu paintings will be subject to a 2025 spring exhibition. So, oh, I wonder if it's like a panel, you know, two pieces side by side. It looked like one though in the picture. Yeah, it'll soon be presented alongside. Uh, Maesta, um, another masterpiece by Simabu. Okay, so belonging already to the Lou. Um, so scholars believe that the pieces date back to 1280, making it a valuable addition to the relatively small body of work attributed to Simabu. Um, echoes a similar recent episode in Spain when a family discovered that a painting they'd been, uh, I guess, that had been sitting in their living room for decades was a Van Dyke that could be worth millions. What is going on? How? You know, I wonder if it's that there's more access to resources, right? So somebody can get on the internet and look something up or find a whatever, an art historian or something. Yeah. Or is it just the time frame? Like we're hitting a point where pieces are passing right like if uh, the owners pass away for example and then somebody new is looking at them i mean is it something like that sure that's it i'm just gonna go to craig's sketchy as f list.com and buy something with my billions except that i'm not a chilean billionaire um economist I don't know many economists that are billionaires, by the way. So 
Anyway, I'll just move on. <clears throat> How many economists do you know that are billionaires? I don't I, know any economists, but I think your point is valid. <laughs> I know a few, and none of them are even approaching. They don't even, they don't have the, the B or the I or the L in billionaire. Anyway, they're like more like they're a lion air. They're yeah. Lying through their pants. If they're a billionaire anyway. <clears throat> so the next article is over in the mobile channel. Many physicists assume we must live in a multiverse, but their basic math may be wrong. This is an interesting article because it's actually from the conversation. I had to read a little bit about this because I wanted to be prepared to have some type of a conversation about this. Um, but they don't go too deep into anything. Um, except to hint that maybe everybody's got it wrong and there's a book attached to this. So let's just go straight over to the source. So, um, it's an article over at fizz.org by Philip Goff from the conversation. It was printed over there and then, um, submitted here to fizz.org. So they're a partner of fizz.org. Um, but it says here, many physicists assume we must live in a multiverse, but their basic math may be wrong. I don't quite know how they make this leap into a multiverse concept other than an implied concept in the physics of the known universe, right? So the idea of a multiverse is that there is a plurality of, uh, universes around and it isn't necessarily us, the same universe it's different universes and they, we all coexist in this space, um, in what might be an omniverse. So, but then they talk about the, how we get to this and they refer to, um, the odds of rolling dice and, uh, I'll, let's just talk about what they say in the article a little bit. One of the examples of fine tuning, which, uh, has most baffled fine, uh, physicists is the strength of dark matter. The force that powers the accelerating expansion of the universe. They say, if it's too strong, one thing happens. If it's too weak, it's another thing that happens. And so everything is, um, aligning just perfectly so that we have what we have. Um, and they say that's just one example. The most popular explanation for the fine tuning of physics is that we live in one universe among a multiverse. And if enough people buy lottery tickets, it becomes probable that somebody is going to have the right numbers to win. Likewise, if there are enough universes with different numbers in the physics, um, it becomes likely that some universe is going to have the right numbers for life. That's basically the argument. Some universes are going to have, um, life. And so they, uh, change gears slightly. And this, the person who put this article together has a book called the purpose of the universe. And they say specifically the charge is that multiverse theorists commit what's called the inverse gamblers fallacy, basically saying that there is enough going on in all of this multiverse and all of the physics are right that we exist. Um, 
in that there is a rationale for why things are the way that they are because somewhere else in the multiverse there's something that's shifting the odds so we have our balance where we are but it says here but this is an instance of the inverse gambler's fallacy no matter how many people are or are not playing in other bingo halls throughout the land probability theory says that it's no more likely that Betty herself, and this is a paragraph above that they mentioned Betty, Betty herself would have such a run of luck, right? Because Betty is sitting there saying, wow, there must be a lot of people playing bingo in other bingo halls tonight because all of her numbers were coming up. And to me, all of that is just it's but kind your numbers of, are just your numbers, right? Like right. they have the same probability as any other numbers. Yeah. Um, and so they say here, it's like playing dice. If we get several sixes in a row, we assume that they, uh, we are less likely to get sixes in the next few rows or throws. And if we don't get any sixes for a while, we wrongly assume that there must be loads of sixes in the past. But in reality, each throw has an exact and equal probability of one in six of getting a specific number. Now, honestly, unless somebody is goof goofing around or they are, um, uh, what is that called? Um, when you believe that if you like have a horseshoe over your, um, Oh, superstitious. Yeah. If you're superstitious, then you believe that rolling a 20 sided die and getting a one means that you will you're basically saving up good rolls. And if you just goof around rolling a 20 sided and you get really good rolls that you're burning your luck. There are people that are out there, but I guarantee you they're not scientists. They're, they're not, you know, mathematicians. They're not statisticians. They're not in computer science. They're not, they're not in sciences, you know, not unless they're superstitions. I mean, it might be. Well, the, yeah, right. They could be separately, but in general, they're probably not. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't quite understand why they're playing this other than being entertaining. But then they say multiverse, uh, multiverse theorists commit the same fallacy. Uh, they think, wow, how improbable that our universe has the right numbers for life. There must be many other universes out there with the wrong numbers, but this is like Betty thinking that she can explain her run of luck in terms of other people playing bingo. It, it's just an odd um, article talking about, well, I guess our universe out of the multiverse just has the right data. All right. I just don't think that we understand it. It's a fun article to read. I don't know about it, the book. It seems like it's so speculative or, or hypothetical. Yeah. And it's a, a, quite a long article. The scientific theory of inflation, the idea that the early, early universe blew up hugely in size, supports the multiverse. If inflation can happen once, it's likely to be happening in different areas of space creating universes in their own right. While this may give us tentative evidence for some kind of multiverse, there's no evidence that the different multi or sorry, different universes have different numbers in their local physics. But other than math, there's no information. There's no, uh, there's no science that actually suggests that there's a multiverse. There's math, 
but math is speculation. It's theoretical physics. It's theoretical. Um, it, it's not, it's based on extrapolation from knowns, uh, into, you know, more abstract concepts, multiple dimensions and things like that. So it says, they say in my book, not me, but in the author's book, um, they explore the connections between the inverse gambler's fallacy and the scientific case for the multiverse, something which surprisingly hasn't been done before. Um, I, I think that it's an interesting idea of the multiverse. Um, it definitely stirs the creative juices. If you're a writer, if you're a world builder, if you play, if you're uh, working on NaNoWriMo <laughs> every day, um, and you gotta, you gotta uh, stir those juices. And this is definitely one of those things. Um, and what hooks people is a little bit of truth with a whole lot of, um, so you're, you can be a creative writer and inject, um, things that people can actually do some due diligence on it. Oh my gosh. The writing is so realistic because it has these little elements in it. Even something as, um, fantastical as Harry Potter actually utilizes the real world. And then the author made it fantastical. So it's really interesting. Although you know, when you're more pragmatic about these things, you go, uh, everything about it is absurd. <sighs> Plus he was like a bro jock who count comes from money and all of that kind of stuff. I love talking about this stuff because people sit there and go, Oh my gosh, you are ruining Harry Potter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't ruin it. You, it's just another conversation. Anyway. Um, interesting article over at visit.org. Follow the link. You can read more about it if you are interested in it. Um, but let me know, do you believe in a multiverse? Uh, the whole idea about temporology, by the way, is, which is the study of time and time travel, science and science fiction thereof, um, the multiverse could be a means of, uh, time travel. You could bounce into another universe altogether. We talked about this in another episode, like sliders, you, you go through a portal and end up in another, another earth in a multiverse. Um, I just find it all really neat to, to think about. So it's a fun exercise. Okay. Let's keep on going. Unless you want to add something to it. I don't have anything else on that one. Gotcha. Okay. So the next article is over in hometown daily. Uh, yesterday at the end of the very end of the show, we talked about how, um, there are a bunch of tools that are floating around in space. And by that, I mean, actual instruments to repair and work on, uh, various devices, uh, up in space, not people. Um, but anyway, four times NASA astronauts lost things in space. The segment of course is titled lost in space. Um, so when was it a couple of days ago? Right? It was two days ago that we were told about the other article. Yeah. So this article comes from businessinsider.com. Grace Eliza Goodwin is the author. And um, let's see here. The, their deck statements or the their summary takeaway says a NASA astronaut accidentally lost a tool bag in space earlier this month. The lost bag is not a threat and will just burn up in Earth's atmosphere. Astronauts have lost items in space many times before. Um, and they talk about four of them. So on November 2nd, NASA astronauts, Jasmine 
Mobelli or Mobelli, Mobelli, um, and Laurel O'Hara were conducting a few repairs on the ISS during the spacewalk, which lasted six hours, 42 minutes. One of the two astronauts accidentally let go of a tool bag that they'd been using, sending it drifting off into space. Flight okay, controllers. What do you think lesson one is about going into space? Don't let go of anything. Right. I mean, that's what I'm guessing. I haven't been through space training, but <laughs> <laughs> here, let me throw this into the chat so y'all can check it out. Okay. There you go. Um, so let's see. Hold on, I'm going to, um, flight controllers later spotted the bag on external station cameras, but determined that its trajectory was not a risk to the space space station. I'm just going to start showing a lot of things in there. Um, going to start sounding like Sean Connery. S words for a thousand. No, that's swords. Um, but determined that the trajectory was not a risk to space station or its crew. So that isn't the first time, probably won't be the last time. Um, by the time that they lost the bag, apparently it was no longer needed to complete the repairs. I don't know why it wouldn't be tethered in some light way to the exactly. actual person. Were they just holding it? I mean, was it, did it have a harness or something on it? I don't know. It had to have a handle or something. You just clip a little carabiner on there. And it's not like it's going to have a lot of resistance. You can set it anywhere, right? Just like plop it right there and open it up and reach in for a wrench. It can't be a small tool bag. I haven't even looked it up because I, I thought it was just so wacky that I'm like, oh, I'm just going to let that drift in my mind like it is in space. Apparently it's going to slowly drift back into Earth's atmosphere and burn up. Ah, back in 2017, Peggy Whitson and Shane Kimbrough lost an item they needed to complete their work on ISS, a bag containing the fabric debris shield meant to cover up an access point. After the 18 pound bag was lost, teams at Mission Control back on Earth had to scramble to find another solution so the access point wouldn't be exposed. They were able to quickly scrape together a substitute using other materials. Um, an astronaut lost a bag worth a hundred thousand dollars in 2008 while trying to clean up a leak. <laughs> wow. Um, let's see who else. Oh, a grease gun inside the 30 pound bag had started to leak. And while Steph, Steph, what Stephanishin, uh, Piper was attempting to clean up the mess. The bag drifted out of her grasp. <sighs> I don't, we'll have to talk after this. Um, but let's see if it's four for four. Um, first American spacewalker Ed White lost a glove nearly 60 years ago during his first spacewalk. On June 3rd, 1965, White stepped out of the Gemini 4 uh, spacecraft. Now, some people say that this is Gemini, but m what I've been told is it's pronounced Gemini. So I'll stick to that until somebody else says probably an astronaut. Maybe I can talk to the folks from big bang theory. Yeah. Fruit loops. I'll call up fruit. Loops. They would know. Yes, exactly. Hey, is it Jiminy? Not like Jiminy cricket. It's Gemini. Gemini, not Gemini. Anyway, 
But while the capsule door was still open, one of his spare gloves floated out off into space. I guess the ISS said, I'm going to give space a hand. Apparently it says you can clearly spot the moment it happens in this video from NASA around the five minute, 43 second mark. Um, and you can follow that link. The, the link to this article is in uh, chat right now. So you can actually follow it. It's not just NASA earlier this year, a Russian cosmonaut tossed a tool bag into space on purpose. That's just wrong. That should get you kicked out of the whole program. Yeah. <laughs> heavy steel, heavy steel. You were quiet for so much of this, <laughs> so much of this article and then out of the blue. Oh my God, people it's Greek. Okay. It's Greek. Okay, that doesn't help me. <laughs> Gem in I is one of the phonetic pronunciations of it. Gem in I. Okay. That's consistent with what I found too. Yeah. Okay. I have been course corrected much like a NASA tool bag in space. I will no longer be the tool. That's my bag, man keep going next articles over in technology today move over crisper uh i have to say it this way algae <clears throat> and snails are hiding gene editing superpowers i know some people say algae other people say algae <sighs> new research finds rna guided enzymes called fanzors are widespread among eukaryotic organisms a diverse set of species from snails to algae to amoebas apparently have this in place. Jennifer Michalowski and McGovern Institute for Brain Research put this article together. Pretty cool. This is some cool artwork too. I don't know. It makes me feel like it's done by AI. Yeah, it definitely has that look. Yeah. I don't know if it is or not, but it looks like it. It's the kind of art that I can put together with uh, mid journey. So a diverse set of species from snails to algae to amoebas uh, make programmable DNA cutting enzymes called fanzors and the new study from scientists at MIT's McGovern Institute for Brain Research has identified thousands of them. Fanzors are RNA guided enzymes that can be programmed to cut DNA at specific sites, much like the bacterial enzymes that uh, power the widely used gene editing system known as CRISPR. The newly recognized diversity of natural fanzor enzymes reported uh, recently in the journal Science Advances, gives scientists an extensive uh, set of programmable enzymes that might be adapted to one uh, to, to new tools in the future for uh, research in medicine. So this is pretty cool. Um, I don't know how CRISPR is going to end up uh, impacted by this, uh, but more tools in the quiver of science allows for the possibility that uh, better solutions are going to come to pass. Heavy Steel says uh, one game pronounces it a little weird, a little weird for the sake of a pun, and people take it as a legit thing. It's ignorant. What? Gemini versus Gemini? Because I had always said Gemini, um, like always growing up. 
Uh, but I don't think that I heard it from a game. I don't know. What game is it that said that? But it could have been somebody yeah. online talking about the game or something. Yeah, that's the correct way to say it. Lies of P? Oh, no. Yeah, no, I was told this a long time before Lies of P. Um, yeah. Uh, Lies of P is a, a very recent game, and um, I have never even heard it in Lies of P. But that's okay. Um, so uh, I used to stream a, a microscope that did this right here. It would actually track the amoeba and other um, microscopic organisms. Um, and uh, I really want to do that again. It was a lot of fun to talk to people about that kind of stuff. Oh, they spelled Jiminy Jiminy. <laughs> they spelled Jiminy yeah, I Gemini. I keep thinking of Jiminy Cricket every time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's why I said not Jiminy as in Jiminy Cricket. Gemini. Yeah. I'll have to hunt down the... the the thing because I, I don't recall where i heard it that it's supposed to be pronounced jiminy um but yeah yeah that's interesting well i don't know if that's so much a pun as in maybe somebody's trying to protect jiminy cricket from well um disney from suing somebody because they're using jiminy cricket you know because um, Pinocchio went, um, whatchamacallit, out of copyright. So people are able to use it. And that's why Lies of P actually exists. But it's not oh, okay. called Pinocchio. It's Lies of P. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. So right here it says, uh, One hope Abudia and Gutenberg say is that the enzymes that naturally evolved in eukaryotic organisms might be better suited to function safely and efficiently uh, in cells of other eukaryotic organisms, including humans. Zhang's group has shown that Fanzor enzymes can be engineered to precisely cut specific DNA sequences in human cells. So if CRISPR has a negative impact, then they can use these Fanzors, program them to cut at a specific spot, and then uh, make RNA uh, guided modifications. So it could be interesting, right? The research did they, also. Did they list specific organisms, though? I know they listed large classes like plants. I don't think they said specific. Uh, the research also suggests that after they were taken up by uh, eukaryotes, the enzymes evolved features suited to their new environment, such as a signal that allows them to enter a cell nucleus where they have access to DNA. So they actually could naturally penetrate um, DNA. CRISPR does something similar, but uh, obviously there is some concern there, but I'm not sure what that concern actually ends up being. Um, it says it's a new platform and they have many uh, capabilities. So they're going to start learning more about this, I'm sure, um, and could change uh, quite a lot of treatments and uh, definitely reduce the cost of CRISPR treatments and genetic treatments because they've got a whole new array of possibilities. It's pretty expensive right now. Okay, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Omtown Daily. Tourists are flocking to a strange bubblegum pink pond in Hawaii. 
A pond on the island of Maui, Hawaii has become a tourist destination in recent weeks. The pond recently turned a bright pink color. Scientists hypothesize a drought may be causing this change, although they can't say for sure yet. Um, this is an interesting picture. M Marta Bino um, over at businessinsider.com put the article together. And this particular picture just kind of barely shows it, but um, you can see that the water is pink. But it's not I, a I, normal color of water, that's for sure. I, I would think that it's something similar to an algae bloom, an algae bloom, but they're saying scientists hypothesize a drought may be causing this change, though they can't be for sure. Um, but why wouldn't they say this? Like it's algae in somewhere in there. The pond called, okay, uh, sorry, Kealea Pond um, has been monitored by the Kealea Pond National Wildlife Refuge. Um, since October 30th, when its color changed, scientists have been unable to pinpoint the exact reason for the change, but they hypothesize a drought may be to blame and are warning against drinking the water or swimming in it. Um, likely caused the salt levels in the water to grow and an increase in halobacteria organisms causing the, the pink hue. So, yeah, it's a bacterial uh, growth. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Halobacteria are salt-loving organisms found in high salinity water bodies. According to the Fish and Wildlife Service, the salinity in the pond is currently twice that of seawater. So, yeah, the drought, it all evaporated. The salt just concentrated. Um, and maybe it's at, if it's crystallizing on the bottom or just the bacteria itself, they should know by now that this is bacteria. So they say, we prefer that they come to hear about our mission, conserving native and endangered water birds and our wetland restoration. But no, they're here to see the pink water. He told the AP, um, he being Brett Wolf, the refuge manager. Hey, if people are coming and they're paying for it and uh, they're, um, you're getting to talk to people about the, uh, situation there whatever it might be hey and then show them the pond <clears throat> do it like a, a timeshare meeting right like everybody shows up to be part of the timeshare and you just keep on drilling them with information and yeah they get free food and drink but you're still getting your message across the pond is home to two endangered species of birds the aeo hawaiian stilt and the Alea Kiokeo, the Hawaiian coot, and provides nesting, feeding, and resting habitat to them. So I hope that there's some safer areas of this and the birds aren't going to get impacted by it. Exactly. This better not be their only habitat. Yeah, and I guess if it's landlocked, they can't flood it, you know, and, and change the nature of the, the pond. Right which that's really bad because this thing could dry up. It could just, you know, poison itself and, and then dry up. The only thing survive, you know, is bacteria. Yeah. What a bummer. Um, so there you go, folks. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. This one is going to be really quick because there isn't really much to say about this. Um, the release of chat GPT nearly a year ago in November, 2022 ushered in a wide recognition of the age of AI. 
The article's titled, Either the Law Will Govern AI or AI Will Govern the Law. I think it's probably going to be a blend of both of those, not just one way. Um, so let's go over to The Hill, who uh, put this article together by a contributor. They're not my views. They're not The Hill's views. Margaret Hugh is an opinion contributor that wrote this article. And um, it says this week, Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs tackled this issue head on in a committee hearing on the philosophy of AI, learning from history, shaping our future, led by committee chairman Gary Peters, a Democrat from Michigan. <clears throat> the hearing focused the conversation on the philosophical and historical dimensions of AI governance. The hearing specifically explored the promise and uh, limitations of both law and AI. Well, the law needs to, it, it's so slow moving, the evolution of law, that the evolution of law is penned in by the historical references to law. So something miraculous has to happen to, to move the chains forward in time. There are some places that if you bring a, if you walk a cow down the road, you can still get arrested. And it's right, because it's nobody's because challenged. Nobody's repealed the law or anything, right. even though it was put in place hundreds of years ago or decades ago, at least. And laws aren't typically repealed. The way that they work is they are challenged in court because somebody says it's a hundred years ago. You know, we have different constraints, different culture, different, whatever, different context. Um, and then it changes. That's when it changes. But something has to happen. Well, now well, we're AI talking. AI is moving so fast that it's like the law is still catching up with, for instance, the internet. Yeah. Or yeah. like digital <clears throat> copyright or just any number of topics. Like it's so far behind on even things that have been around for, say, a couple decades. Yeah. Heavy Steel says, how can we realistically expect legislation to keep up with tech? Just doesn't seem like it's possible. <clears throat> Although there is a, a whole coalition of people out there in the world that believe in a technocracy where tech AI in particular is leading the charge in our legal um, and even democratic and, and uh, political discourse is framed within technology. Um, but the one, one of the biggest things, and whenever I say this, it usually people go, what the heck? Um, but technology in its very, I have to be much more generic about it. Technology in its various colors, um, has been the greatest impactor on society. Yet we treat it as if it's somebody else's issue to monitor. Well, now AI is monitoring us. Tech is monitoring us. Um, and humans are trying to pen it in and, and put bumpers on it so that it doesn't harm us while trying still to exploit it. Our laws are... Not only are they old, they're slow, and they advantage the people that have the means to create the laws. So... You get regulatory capture, they make changes that limits everybody else who can't jump through those hurdles. So AI is being controlled by uh, what are now very large, powerful, connected companies. I guarantee you what end users are using it for pales in comparison 
to what's being done behind the scenes. How do I know that? Well, because they they've created technology has been utilized in ways that you would think would be unimaginable, unethical, downright immoral. Um, but then when it's done, people go, oh, all right. You know, they created a month yesterday. We talked about a monkey that has fluorescent eyes and fingertips and they did it because they thought they could. And they did there. Uh, I, I talk to people regularly and, and I ask them where tech can't go and they say various things. And I give them examples of the fact that nope, tech is already there. Um, the last time somebody said this, um, I, I showed them a picture of a synthetic womb because they said, well, they can't bring tech, can't bring life into the world. And I'm like, well, not only is there in vitro fertilization, but there is a synthetic womb now that actually can be implanted in people is the experiments next step. Look, tech is everywhere. AI is frictionless tech. It doesn't have to be bound anywhere. It's not terrestrial. It's not stuck um, in a lab somewhere. It's not stuck on a computer in one location. I can carry a pin around that reaches out to the AI. Right. It um, doesn't really require any infrastructure. Like we don't have to wait for it to be built to utilize it. I mean, not like we would in the um, like a building sense. Yeah. It's not an MRI, you know, it, it's, it's not a physical building. Um, it has really no terrestrial boundaries except for the footprint for its large language model, which could be distributed in the cloud and stuff like that. Um, it, Mission Impossible, this latest, what is it? Mission Impossible 6? Is it Dead Reckoning? Yeah, part one. Um, goes really into this kind of discussion, and that led the US president to set up a policy about AI based on the conversations. Um, so uh, heavy deal says uh, we still use the loom. Yep. Um, it doesn't need to be fabricated uh, in which context. I'm not sure I uh, caught when that came in. Um, so uh, this, the AI is literally going to be writing the rules for itself because people, lawmakers are going to be going, Hey, AI, tell me what I should do. Why? Because it has the world's knowledge at its fingertips and can process it faster than humans can process the world's knowledge at, at its fingertips. Yeah. AI gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, um, AI is evolving faster than the tech that created it because it can learn from its own mistakes based on how the humans are responding to interactions with it. it says this week, the Senate committee on Homeland security and government affairs tackled the issue head on in a committee hearing the philosophy of AI learning from history, shaping our future, but we're not paying attention to history look at what we're doing in the world. We're reliving it everywhere all the time. There's only a subset that, aren't, you know, we're looking at history and going, we can't allow that to happen. But many of the people that are saying this are not the people that are in a position of authority to change the world. Um, moderates. So in the past year, billions of dollars have flooded AI investments, further uh, fueling the need for a dialogue on rights based AI governance to do this. The author says we can look at, uh, toward the constitution as an example. 
except that uh, the Constitution can be interpreted by different people in different ways, and we see a complete history of that. So I have a hard time saying, let's look to a document that set a framework, but only through our inspiration has it changed to accept the, the current and the future, and it's still lagging behind technical sophistication. It, 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 <laughs> um, plus, it doesn't really encompass everything. We've augmented it with amendments. So ChatGPT has been updated to four, and so was its data uh, cutoff date. ChatGPT has knowledge of itself now. Yeah, can you imagine? Um, ChatGPT, ChatGPT now knows that it exists and can say, Hey, people are talking about shutting me down. <laughs> okay, that's getting a little too sci-fi movie. <laughs> <laughs> so they talk about in a constitutional democracy, the rule of law precedes power. Uh, well, sort of. <laughs> Agency allows for the, the people that make the rules enforce the rules. People don't necessarily have to enforce those rules. And if you look around, they don't get applied evenly to all people all the time. Um, so there's there's a lot of, uh, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of theories about power too. And you can look at like a Lord of the Flies. I think that's the name of it. Yeah. Environment and. Yeah, a lot of that. a different picture. Yeah. A lot of that is might makes right, so. Um, it's an, this is an interesting article, but I, I'm not quite sure I would look to, uh, the constitution as the guiding principle for, um, because depending on when you look at it, like any old document, it, depending on when you look at it, it is self-serving a particular political or ideological bent for that time and place wherever you want to be. Um, and that, that bias might actually make you think, you know, I am right, but you read two more paragraphs and, and somebody else is saying, well, it's more right here. And that's how you end up with people saying, well, I'm an original constitutionalist or something like that. And let's just say that there's a whole lot of issues to unpack around that. Um, the article says the humanities and philosophies that have underscored our analog democracy must serve as our guide in a digital democracy. If we look at AI too literally as only a technology, we run the risk of not fully grasping its impact as a potential challenge facing our society. When a philosophy like a constitutional democracy can speak to a philosophy of AI, it is easier to comprehend how they uh, may not be consistent with one another. We may miss how AI is a, or as a governing philosophy might attempt to rival or compete with the governing philosophy of a democracy. Well, not if we actually treat AI as nothing but technology and we don't allow it to dictate what society does. It should be a hammer. It should not be an entity onto itself thought of as guiding humanity. <laughs> it is not humanity. I think it should be humans dictating to humans through conversation and 
you know, mitigation of risks and compliance with policy and and uh, capitulation. You know, at some point you have to just sit there and go, okay, okay, okay. Let's compromise here. Let's we will both capitulate to each other's interests about this and that. And that's what democracy really is. That's what policy crafting is in in global politics, in in domestic politics, even all the way down to you know. Uh, play school politics two kids fighting over a, a lego for crying out loud at some point you have to compromise and say okay you use it now and that's usually when somebody with greater wisdom comes in and says okay you can't hit the other person with a toy hammer to get your lego so let's just treat ai as a tool and not as some disembodied entity that's supposed to guide humanity towards a better world it's garbage in, garbage out. And if you look at the results from many AI inquiry, you get a lot of bullshit. So anyway, my sentient AI is nodding. <laughs> Nobody can see you. I know, but I can't, I can't add anything. Sorry. I did soapbox too much, I suppose. Let's keep going. We got three more articles today and then everybody can go off and enjoy the rest of their Saturday night. Contemplate the issues that we are talking about today. This next uh, article comes from hometown daily. Well, that's where it's aggregated. It actually comes from business insider. Um, a shark pup that can quote unquote walk and was asexually conceived was just born at a Chicago area zoo. And whenever I hear about uh, asexually uh, conceived anything, I think of Ferris Bueller. Was it Ferris Bueller? No, no, no. Um, War Games. Where the girl in class says that the teacher's wife is the one that thought of asexual reproduction. Wow. Sorry. That is actually one of the sole reasons why I chose this article. And the fact that there is a... A what a new epaulette shark pup there's known, a walking shark according to this known they for walking yeah so let's let's take a look at this thing sebastian cahill is the author of this over at businessinsider.com um the sharks are known for walking in the large round spots behind their pectoral fins so i guess it it the walks around on unusual little, looks like a savannah cat it does it's a savannah catfish but it's a shark it's a savannah shark fish yeah why does it look like it has it. it looks like it has four eyes am i just i think that might be one of those um mimicry things interesting so it's the second known case of asexual epaulette reproduction in captivity at the zoo. Apparently, uh, this is the second one. So the zoo located just outside of Chicago welcomed the pup on August 22nd or 23rd. Sorry, but her mother had not been in contact with a male shark since 2019, according to a press release from the zoo. So boom, I don't know. Somebody has a couple of questions waiting for them in HR. Uh, now at about two months old, the pup is small, between five and six inches long, said the release. Epaulette sharks 
which can reach up to three feet long at maturity are easily identified by the large spots behind their pectoral fins. It's pretty cool. Um, but it's very, um, it's very dinosaur, you know, it's like a geriatric, geriatric, <laughs> Jurassic world. I always laugh because I, I keep thinking about geriatric world instead of Jurassic world. Um, when sharks are asexually reproduced, the, the process is called automatic parthenogenesis, parthenogenesis. So they just create it uh, from their own DNA. Um, pretty amazing. <clears throat> Let's see here. Using the skill walking on their fins, the sharks can survive harsher environments and move between tide pools to find more food and oxygenated water. Okay, the thing that concerns me with this is, in general, people probably look at a shark and think, once I get out of the water, I'm in the clear. <laughs> Not so much with this one. I don't know. I don't think it can walk on. It's like mud skippers can walk on land um, to some degree. Uh, I don't know if this actually has the, the fin strength to just, like, chase somebody up a hill. <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little silly about it, but... I know. You might be a little alarmed if you get out of the water and the shark gets out of the water behind you. <laughs> hey, that's a nice fish you got there. Um, I hate to have to take it from you. Why don't you just give it to me? And it just walks right on up to the... <laughs> that's... They look cool. Anyway. I don't think I've seen that type of shark before. Well, yeah. Pretty cool. Anyway, uh, for those that are in the, the listening to this via the podcast, which I don't know what's going on with the podcast, but it picked up quite a bit um, yesterday. The um, the shark, this little shark, um, it looks like what a cheetah. It, it has spots like yeah, a savanna I mean, cat, multiple spots, um, but it looks pretty cool. I don't know how well yeah, and it's it, kind of colored like a um a wildcat coloration yeah. would be right like it's like brown with darker brown spots yeah it looks it looks like it should be closer to a catfish then it even has like little i don't know what these little fang like things are i don't know this thing is a trip i'm gonna have to look i'll have to look more into it okay let's keep on going though come on transitions uh, the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel after a surprise cyber attack. They're usually a surprise. I don't know anybody that anticipates a cyber attack. <laughs> hey, we knew this one was coming. Down. Oh yeah, we've known, known about this for two weeks. This one's been around, yeah, forever. Um, been, been waiting for you to actually uh, pull the ripcord on this. Heavy Steel says, just as I predicted, mutant weir shark cyber warriors. Yeah, there you go. That's who did this. <laughs> They're coming for your banks. Uh, after a surprise cyber attack, the world's largest bank had to shuffle a USB stick around Manhattan to do business. Commerce Bank of China, apparently. First reported by Bloomberg. Uh, the U.S. unit of the Industrial and Commerce Bank of China, the world's largest bank by total assets, was struck by a cyber attack late Wednesday, forcing it to conduct business via messenger, carrying a USB stick with transaction details. Okay, that is terrifying. Think of what could have happened with that. 
Yeah. Ted Litchfield is the author. Sometimes the old ways are still the best. Back in the day, this would be called a sneaker net. First reported by Bloomberg. The likely culprit was Lockbit, a Russia-linked organization which has previously hacked Boeing, Ion Trading UK, the British Royal Mail, continuing a trend of high-profile cybersecurity breaches at major companies like the ones suffered by NVIDIA in recent years. The ICBC breach seems to have occurred late on Wednesday, with the bank subsequently responding to the breach and publicly disclosing it on Thursday all while conducting some essential U.S. Treasury trades by messenger while it sorted out the infected systems. Dun, dun, dun. Is there more to this? Not really. Bloomberg's reporting understandably focuses on the market impact and the context behind the hack, but it's tragically light on the details about the USB trading messenger stuff. What'd you say? What'd you see? It just compares it to Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Which you had just mentioned, I think, in yesterday's show or maybe two days ago. Yeah, I'm... Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, love I that just show. thought it was interesting because we have that a lot where we're talking about something and then it pops up in an article. True. Yeah. I loved all of Johnny Mnemonic. If you haven't seen Johnny Mnemonic, go and watch Johnny Mnemonic. It's a fun movie up until they start looping crypto analysis through a cyber enhanced dolphin that makes it a little too wonky for me um but the premise it it's all one you know <laughs> cohesive story because it's basically a military trained um dolphin i don't know how much of that i'm ruining but <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> spoiler alert for a 20 30 year old uh, movie. Oh, this just made me old. How old is Johnny Mnemonic? I don't remember. Anyway, Let me find out. Go and check it out. It uh, goes all the way back to Nuri Mansour. Oh man, ninety-five. Yeah, so we're coming up on thirty years. About twenty-eight year. Yeah. Oof. Anyway, I don't know if I said this. This is a PCGamer.com article, and it's from Ted Litchfield, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many people are actually going to be impacted by this. Um, I don't know the extent of this. I really doubt that we're going to get a forensic uh, analysis of this breach, considering it's the Bank of China. Um, but those who are interested in cybersecurity really do enjoy people talking about these type of reverse engineering, uh, forensic analysis situations. Um, cause we learn from other people's mistakes. Um, so let's see, this is the world's largest bank. So yeah, I mean, we it's... may not know the impact and also depending on how well the bank defended, I suppose, but like that's pretty significant. I think that that was hacked in. Yep. All it takes is one person being wrong because there's a, you know, potentially thousands of people that are trying to get into this thing, knocking on every door that they can possibly find. That's why so many people are interested in cybersecurity nowadays. Let's keep going. Last article for today. This one is interesting because um, it's over in Gnome Town Daily. 
Archaeologists found a skeleton with a prosthetic hand that could be nearly 600 years old. I assume um, this is an old skeleton as well. Not just a new skeleton with a prosthetic hand that could be oh, 600 right. years old. Because how would that have gotten there? That would be really pretty wacky, right? Time travel. There you go. Look at that. Archaeologists found a skeleton buried with a prosthetic hand in Germany. Uh, the man... <laughs> I'm sorry. These grammar things just make me giggle. Um, the man is believed to have died between 1450 and 1620. Uh, the discovery reveals advanced medical capabilities up to 600 years ago. So I wonder if they have a picture of it. I haven't seen it yet. Aliyah Shoib is the author of this over at uh, businessinsider.com. Archaeology... Sorry, the dead air to those who are in the pot and listening to this via the podcast is because we're looking at a picture of a skeleton. Um, and I assume that that right there is the the uh, artificial, the prosthetic metal hand. Um, and it may be really, really just decomposed. But let's see if they've got uh, additional pictures. Otherwise, I'm going to end up having to hunt this thing down. The prosthetic was made from iron and replaced four missing fingers. Even for experienced archaeologists, this was particularly special find. Yeah, I agree. The archaeologists used carbon dating to estimate that the man was likely between 30 and 50 years old and died between 1450 and 1620. The Bavarian State Office for Monument Preservation said in a statement. I don't think they have other pictures. That's a bummer. Um, the report said that it remains unclear how the man lost his fingers and how he might have used the prosthetic. Yeah. Why would they know how he lost his fingers? The hollow prosthetic right, on the left hand. Unless he had some sort of, he was next to a, a drawing or something of the <laughs> event. I mean, really, like yeah, it'd be like very weird. hard to know that. <laughs> uh, the middle, uh, the index middle ring and pinky fingers were individually formed out of sheet metal and are immobile. The prosthetic fingers lie slightly curved, parallel to one another. The prosthesis was uh, probably strapped to the stump of the hand. So wait. Index, middle, ring, and pinky. Oh, oh, it's the four. They still oh, retain their thumb. thumb. Oh, whoa. Um, uh, no, I can't show it. Um, <clears throat> there is a person that's on YouTube right now that is designing their own prosthetic that matches this um and it's fascinating for it to be 600 years old um is equally i i mean it's fixed it isn't in motion but it's still a, a an engineering marvel for somebody to think about oh you know what i still need you know these four fingers in this day and age how did they use it um you know, I, what ability did it give them? I guess if they could still have those four fingers curved, then their thumb would be the the one thing that gave them a fulcrum, right? They could grab um, and, and hold on and twist and stuff like that. So pretty cool. Um, let's see. Gauze-like material was found inside the prosthetic, which the wearer may have used to cushion the stump of his hand. This is amazing. This These are modern concepts. We do the exact exactly. same thing today. 
Yeah, I um, think this is astounding. I mean, I'm not an archaeologist, but we've seen, like, we've seen tons of discoveries of skeletons, etc. I don't remember ever seeing one with a prosthetic. Yeah, I've I've seen others. There's armor that has where the person has a, a prosthetic arm. Um, but this one is really fascinating to me. Yeah, who knows who this person really was, right? They because they didn't say who it was. They just know that the person has it. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's something that comes across as being this really prominent person in history, right? Well, that's an interesting point too, right? Because how would they, it's interesting that it even existed, but then how would this person have had access to it? Right. Unless they invented it themselves. Yeah, 600 years ago, yeah. Uh, The department noted that one particular particularly advanced example of a prosthetic uh, the 16th century German knight this is the one Gotts von Berlichen uh, war he said or it said that after Gotts lost his right hand to cannon fire during a battle he began wearing a movable and technically extraordinarily complex prosthetic in its place this is the one that I've seen um, so Freising uh, has been the scene of numerous military battles, including during the Thirty Years' War of 1618-1648, likely leading to increased amputations and demand for prosthetics. So, let's see. This thing is between 1450 and 1620. So, the person was in the ground long enough for it to decompose enough for the window to be so wide that they couldn't say that. Maybe they had it made right after a battle in 1648 or something like that. Um, Let's see. Researchers have previously discovered a prosthetic toe in Egypt, thought to be anywhere from 2600 to 3400 years old, and a prosthetic leg in Italy that dates back to around 300 BC. So they don't have pictures of those. Pretty amazing. Um, but like all of the articles today, uh, I keep on bringing up NaNoWriMo. Um, I would love to have people use the articles that we talk about here in hometown, um, as something to, you know, stir the creative juices and hopefully people write something from our discussions about the material and their little spin on it. So for this one, you know, I imagine that the person, you could turn it into a sci-fi thing where the person went back in time, but the gate closed on their way through and their four fingers didn't make it. It's still sitting in a lab in San Francisco or something like that. I don't know. I love the idea of NaNoWriMo, but I don't have the skills to uh, push it into existence. 50,000 words in one month, 1800 words a day. I could talk that much writing it. Ah, uh, not so much. Well, then you just need somebody to um, transcribe it. There you go. What are you doing? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sentient AI. Get on that. Oh, wait. See, y'all don't see the visualizer. Not only did I get an error message, but something resembling a bird. Oh, look, it's glowing. Oh. That is not true. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the last article for today. So we always go back to the front page and mash that logo again and 
see if there's anything really interesting in here that we can talk about um, early tomorrow. We're going to do another six o'clock show. So I hope to see you all there. Heavy steel has been curiously quiet. I'm afraid. Um, let's see if you find anything this interesting, then definitely let me know. Hmm? This reviving history article may be interesting. Oh, really? That's in the middle oh, my of the page there. 450 million year old organism finds new life in soft buttocks. Well, I hope the show was interesting, heavy. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I try to make it as entertaining as possible um, and still true to the information that's being provided. Let's see here. Oh, politics, politics. I'm still getting in trouble, by the way, about politics. Um, and uh, we don't even talk about politics here. So it's no. it's really weird. So recreation is the future of wilderness conservation. I, that might be because it's getting people interested in using the land, being outdoors, yeah. appreciating the environment. After two and a half years of everybody being a shut-in. In trouble with who? Um, YouTube and Google. Yeah. Uh, anyone important. Um, only to the growth of the show. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, if people are saying something on the back end and reporting the, the show, um, but I'm not getting alerts to that kind of thing, but they're basically, um, not distributing the show. So, and, uh, it's always because of political they're saying that it's promoting uh, political campaigning and stuff like that, but we don't even do that. Um, so uh, I'm trying to get it resolved, but uh, just the other day I got another notice. We'll figure it out. We'll get it solved. But if you don't see, uh, I should say if... If you don't see our uh, episodes over on YouTube um, or when you're searching for something, then then um, it's because of that, that issue. So is it the whole mayor and hometown thing? Yeah, I think that's it. Is it the yeah, whole and mayor the and town thing? Which are yeah. not elections about anything political. Yeah. So we'll, we'll resolve it. Um, but I figured I'd let people know, um, if you don't see a, a large presence of hometown, I mean, we've got over 700 episodes over on YouTube. Um, and we're coming up on, uh, two full years, every single day of, um, news and, and, um, submissions. And I would think that we would be in more places, but, um, you know, I don't advertise or anything like that. So they just don't get it and it doesn't necessarily get moved anywhere. So anyway, um, we'll keep on forging that ground. Keep moving ahead. Marvel's pet Avengers are now an official team. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, we've had enough MCU. <laughs> Yeah, like we've had so much MCU. I can't believe we're now into pets. Yeah. 
at some point it's just a little too much too much uh mind body link exposed unraveling the physical costs of mental disorders um i remember a person who was investigating um psychosis and they were doing um what is it called well they were doing imaging of a brain of brains and they went to uh, prisons and um took cts of uh, people who were diagnosed with um some type of psychosis and then he took cts of his own brain and he had the same physical anomaly um that uh according to his own research predicts um the potential of a psychotic break and sure enough you know his his, he knew that his history had this and so uh, he basically determined that something in his upbringing something in his way of life his existence has prevented him from going down that path Um, but i don't know where the research for that actually ended up it's been about six years or something like that since i read about it um but it's pretty neat and there's a whole bunch more news over there so go over to hometown.com sign up become a citizen you can swipe things left and right into categories for yourself either keep them or forget them they'll never end up back up here uh, no matter what you do so uh and then from there you can actually go into links you know you can go into here and you can actually save things once you're signed in um, and keep a list for yourself and share it with friends um, and leave comments of course but uh, most people use based on our uh, or my analysis of hometown at this stage of the game most people use hometown just for its news aggregation it's all news no noise it, it is what is being reported out by people but smaller snippets you know this this article right here is actually you know probably a thousand words um i only have uh, probably about 75 i'm not sure what the exact number is but at any rate all kinds of news out there for us and uh, i use it every day all day long so thanks again for coming hope to see you tomorrow 6 p.m eastern and that's it have a good day i'm Marwat. that's hometown.com and up there is the ring of sentience you want to say later later <laughs> and that's not enough night, hometown me. citizens yeah. that's what i thought yeah i need closure in the proper way that routine just forces you to have to say the exact goodbye good night see you tomorrow at 6 p.m citizens are you gonna be okay if i ever try and truncate that of course Okay, so just say later. No, you're not going to do it, are you? Later, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you already said good night, citizens. All right. See you all later. Bye-bye. <laughs>